Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to take a moment and thank you and thank Paul for um, giving me the opportunity to be with you today and to deliver um, the word. Today is Homecoming Sunday, <clears throat> time when we gather with family, church family, and with friends, people near and far who have come back uh, to celebrate our unity in Christ. It also happens to be World Communion Sunday, which is always celebrated on the first Sunday in October. And it's the time where we, with believers around the world, gather at table to celebrate the meal that was first instituted by Jesus Christ. It's a reminder that in spite of our differences, the way we look, our nationality, uh, or the different ways in which we perceive um, our realities, we are one family in Christ. And today, this family remembers and partakes of this sacred meal, as so many others either around the world have either done or will do uh, in this day. And you are also celebrating this day when you welcome back former members and friends, inviting them home to the place where all are welcome. It's good to be where you are wanted, is it not? And especially when we feel all alone out there in this world, or when we are tempted to despair over everything that's going on in our world today, whether it's you know, race riots, terrorist attacks, just what's going on in the streets in our world, we need a place where we can feel safe, a place called home. Now, I realize that even the church is vulnerable to attacks, as was the case in Charleston, South Carolina, over a year ago. But I'm not talking about the kind of safety one finds in a fortress or in a building. Rather, I'm talking about the kind of safe place, a place where we don't have to convince others that we are someone who we are not a place where we know that in spite of the differences, we will be accepted as brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul writing to a community that you're going to hear in just a minute that was becoming more anxious as they waited for the coming of the Lord. And as they waited, they began to have their doubts. And they wondered, well, was the old way of life, that pagan way of life, really all that bad? But Paul tells them, that as they live in a community that is grounded in the love of Christ, their labor will not be in vain. And they will be at home with one another. He even instructs them in places throughout his different letters on how to do it, on how to be in relationship with one another. He says, let love bear one another. Let love let us love one another. Let us bear another's burdens. Let us admonish one another, just to name a few of the ways. So what I want to do this morning is I want to explore with you this notion of home, home, both here and our eternal home. So I would now ask that you listen with your mind and with your heart as I read from 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 51. Listen for the word of God. 
Paul writes, What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not die, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishability and this mortal body put on immortality. When the perishable body puts on the imperishability and this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be true. Death has been swallowed up by victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord, your work will not be in vain. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Thanks. Let us join together in prayer. Let us pray. O oh, gracious and holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh, God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So some years ago, an author named Marilyn Robinson wrote a novel called Gilead. It was on the bestseller list for a very long time. And it was a fictional story of a Reverend John Ames, who was an elderly uh, pastor of a congregation in a small, secluded town called Gilead. Marilyn Robinson's uh, sequel to that novel was called, what do you think, Home. And home centers around another pastor and a pastor's hell-raising son whose name happened to be Jack. Now Jack returns home after 20 years of being away. For 20 years, Jack had been roaming, sometimes homeless, sometimes in prison. Roaming and carrying for two decades secrets, secrets about himself. And he was trying to find himself in things out there in the world. One day he comes home, and in the safety of his home, the home he had known as a child, in that safety, he finally comes to terms with his secrets. You know, there are a lot of people roaming around in the world today. We live in a transient society where people don't tend to stay in one place for very long. One study shows that the average stay in a city or a town for a millennial, that's a couple generations below me, is three years. Three years. Now, I've been a pastor for 37 years. It's all I've ever done. But by the time a millennial is 35, they say it is likely that the millennial will have five different jobs. In all likelihood, in five different 
places. More than ever, in this time when people are roaming, we need a place where they are welcomed, a place where they feel grounded, no matter how long the stay, a place that will offer the certainty of welcome and compassion in all the midst of the uncertainties in their world. For me, for me, that is what homecoming is all about. For many, the association of self-places comes out of their memories of their own homes, a place where they felt safe. I had that. I remember my memories of home as a child, riding my bicycle great distances, distances that we never allowed our children to ride when they were growing up. I would go to the convenience store where penny candy really did cost a penny. I remember Sunday evenings when I would park myself, that is Sunday evenings after coming home from Sunday evening church service, I would park myself in front of the TV for the Ted Mack Amateur Hour, which was followed by Lassie and the Campbell Soup commercials. It felt mm-mm good, mm-mm good. That's the old Campbell soup jingle, you know. Good, knowing that at the end of every episode of Lassie, Timmy and Lassie were going to come home. We felt safe in our homes, even when I, as a young boy, lived in a time that was not very safe. It was a time when the world stood on the end of nuclear holocaust, a time when we as third graders had air, air, air raid drills in our schools and we all had to get under our desk as if our desk was going to protect us from a nuclear fallout. I never quite understood that. But we really didn't understand much of anything, to be honest with you, because, you see, our teachers and our parents did not want to let on what was going on around the world. It was their job to make us feel safe. Well, for me, that all changed one day when my first grade teacher walked into my third grade teacher's room in tears whispering in her ear, the president has been shot. And yet, in the midst of the chaos, they emerged quickly that day when that school bell rang for an early dismissal, I was able to run home. I could not make sense of anything that was going on, but home was my safe place. Now, even as I share these memories, I know that home is not a safe place for all people. There's one person who writes about home as being a thick closet with coats where she could hide from abusive parents. And I'm cautious about romanticizing the past. Home for some was not a safe place. 
But don't you agree that our homesickness, our longing to stop roaming in the world is actually a longing that is our refuge from the dark? Whatever that darkness may be for us. A place where we know we feel safe even when we know the world is not safe. When it is dark, where do you want to be? If I had something that I was grateful for, I was grateful for a lot of things, but if this is one thing, it was the day that the transportation department finally did away with the terms inner and outer loop. Now when I travel on Route 440, I know if I'm going east or west. I could just never get what inner or outer loop was about, even though people tried to explain it to me. One evening, when I was out, I took the inner loop trying to get back home and then realized that I should have been on the outer loop. And after turning around, I thought again, maybe the inner loop was the way I was supposed to go. <laughs> totally confused. I finally got off the first exit I could find, ended up on a dark, lonely road, held my hands tight on the steering wheel, wondering if I would ever find home. Home is our refuge from the dark. Frederick Beekner, who is a retired Presbyterian minister, wrote a book called The Longing for Home. And in it, he describes his grandmother and writes of her home in East Liberty, Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh. Her home was his home more so than any other place he lived growing up. And what made it home was his grandmother. Beekner lost his father when he was very young. His grandmother, for him, was the Christ figure. He writes in his book, Christ lights the fire on the hearth of our hearts, whether they are breaking with loss, full of fear, or even filled with some unanticipated joy. Home is where you belong. Just a few weeks ago, we remembered the 15th anniversary of 9-11. An article in the paper recalled that day that there was a, um, a reporter who had reported about Flight 93, the one that was about to crash into the field in Pennsylvania. And the uh, writer wrote that almost no one on board that plane, no one called their office, called the stock market, called the insurance agent. What do you suppose they called? The church at Corinth was going through a transformation in its own life, and there was a certain element of fear going along with it. It was the fear of the unknown, the fear of what a new day was going to bring. You see, the Corinthians were never very far from the old lifestyle, from those who were saying, come back and let's worship the gods instead of God. But Paul says that that will only lead to further darkness. And then Paul gives them this word of assurance. I tell you, 
even if the earthly tent we live in gets destroyed, we will have another home, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. You see, Paul has a way of addressing the dilemma of death and fear head on, assuring his readers that they will never, never be without a home. Paul's words are personal and instructive. He writes as a journalist, as a poet, as a prophet, as an eloquent wordsmith who captures their attention saying, I tell you a mystery. We will not die but we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. So until that time, how should we live? How should we be at home with God and with each other? Well, one way is to be an active part of your community of faith. And within that community, commit yourselves to serve God excessively as you serve one another. Give back to God extravagantly, giving in the manner of one who is grateful to God and God's greatest gift, God's Son. Reconcile whatever needs to be reconciled. I tell you, and I know this because of people I've known, who have held grudges, grudges will lead you to very dark places. Ask your questions. Be not afraid to share your doubts. Covenant with each other to be a community that will hold one another up in love and prayer. And look for the Christ in the stranger who walks through that door. And welcome that stranger with open arms. And as you do it, the church will model the attributes of home. And it will also mirror the eternal home. The late Marcus Borg wrote a reflection on his life titled, Me and Jesus, The Journey Home. And he begins by explaining how he came to write this reflection. He says, years ago, I received an invitation from an Episcopal group in the San Francisco Bay Area. And they said to me, we want you to talk about Jesus, and we want you to make it personal. Nobody ever asked me to make it personal before, he wrote. And so, he writes, I wrote these words, me and Jesus, on the page. Now, I'm not going to read you his reflection because the reflection is 22 pages and we would probably miss lunch if I did that. But in conclusion, I want to hit some of the highlights. His first section is called Growing Up in, with Jesus, where he writes about being born into a Lutheran family. He loved Jesus and in youth group they would always sing, Jesus, priceless treasure, source of purest pleasure. The next section, Adolescence, Doubt and Anguish, was a time when he was no longer sure who God really was. Then the next section is called College, 
where he described himself as a closet agnostic, one who did not know what to make of God. And then the next section, deconstruction, he shares how he went to seminary because he received a fully paid scholarship for the first year. And it was there that he learned about a Jesus in a way he never knew Jesus before. Now, there are additional sections, but I want to skip to the final one, which he calls coming home. He begins that section writing this. My personal journey has led me back into the church. My exile ended because of a desire to be a part of a tradition and community that celebrated and mediated the reality of the spirit. And then he concludes with this. My own journey has thus been beyond belief. It has moved from belief through doubt and disbelief to relationship. For me, to be a Christian is to be a part of a community that tells these stories and sings these songs. And then he ends it by saying, by writing, it feels like home. Today we gather as a family with our extended family around the world celebrating the sacrament of our Lord's Supper. The good news is that there is room at this table for everyone. And it is a reminder that the Spirit will continue to lead us from the homes we have known toward the home we will one day know in all its fullness. Quietly closing the doors on our fears along the way. So until that time, let's live as a community that tells the stories and sings the songs about the one who is with us and the one who will one day lead us to the home with many rooms as promised by Jesus to his disciples and to us. Promised by the one we remember with followers around the world, the one who is with us still. Amen. Before the benediction, I want to thank Ted for coming to lead us in worship today. I want to thank all our musicians for their contributions. I want to thank that big work crew that came here Monday and cleaned and scrubbed and dusted and did all those things that need doing. And especially since we're about to have a feast, I want to thank all those who fix something special for this special day. Well, when you find yourself praying, Lord, increase my faith, remember that the strength of your faith is not dependent on you, but on the one in whom you have faith. So have faith in God who made us all. Have faith in Jesus who showed us how to live and who died for us. Have faith in the Holy Spirit who guides us and gives us strength to do God's will. And now as we approach bountiful tables, Lord, we thank you for the food that's been prepared, for the hands that prepared it. And as we enjoy the fellowship of this homecoming day, God, strengthen your church and us.
to do your will. In Christ's name, amen.